Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Sunday, but hey, Super Bowl's there this year, right? Right. I'm Kevin Bowen, back another edition of Kevin's Corner. Will Smith bringing us in there. Welcome to Miami. This time it's the Miami Dolphins coming to Indianapolis for a Week Ten. I think it's Week Ten matchup. 4:05 kick. The only game on CBS at 4:05 this week. So. Um, yeah, probably feel bad for the rest of America, but hey, there might be a lot of people out there that are going to be happy that that's the game on CBS. So Colts and Dolphins in Week 10, we'll hit on a lot of that on today's edition of Kevin's Corner. Joey Molinaro still actually down in the state of Florida for his honeymoon, so I'm going to ride solo, Jason Derulo style, on this podcast. And as always on our Thursday pod, we'll, we'll focus a decent amount on the opponent, although some might question how much of an opponent are the Miami Dolphins, um, but we'll hit on the quarterback situation. Jacoby Brissett and Brian Hoyer, they're the injury status with QB1. Um, talk about the receiver injuries. You know, something we didn't really give a whole lot of credence to maybe on Monday's podcast was just the significance of T.Y. Hilton, and now a couple updates on Devin Funches and Paris Campbell, and we'll also get into Chris Ballard uh, having his quarterly update with Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, if you missed that. I've pulled out some of the highlights on 1075.com, and the full audio is over on Colts.com. Matt Taylor always doing a great job with that stuff. And before we get into things I things I learned this week and, and touching on the Twitter questions as we do every Thursday, I, I want to start right here with it's the midway point of the season. And earlier this week, I kind of gave out some grades on 1075.com, um, something I'm going to do every quarter. You know, rushing offense, passing offense, special teams, rushing defense, etc. But it's also kind of our annual time to give out awards. So I figured with the Colts being 5-3 and three at this point, halfway through the 2019 marathon that is a regular season in the NFL, time to get out a few awards. So I will do that here um, on our first segment. And obviously most valuable player is is – Probably the most popular award you hear thrown around, and it's always like, okay, what's your definition of most valuable player? Because honestly, if you're going for most valuable cult, I mean, hell, isn't it T.Y. Hilton? I mean, you're 0-7 without Hilton in the lineup. You're 0-2 this season. He hasn't put up, you know, Pro Bowl-type numbers this year when he's been healthy, but still. You know, if you talk about the value that he brings to your football team and the ramifications from a win-loss standpoint... I don't know how you can't go with the, with the ghost, but instead of most valuable player, I'm going to call it just kind of best player. And I think the best player this season for the Colts has been Quentin Nelson. Now, I know the recency sort of film that we watch on Nelson probably isn't at an all-pro level, and I really don't think he's been, or any Colt for that matter, has just been above and beyond any other teammate. Like this time last year, Darius Leonard was your MVP and it wasn't even, or your best player, and it wasn't even a question. You know, Andrew Luck had, you know, been up and down, I would say, through the first eight games and really got on a run towards the middle of the season. So I'm going to go with Nelson here. I, I still think when you look back early in the season, he, he's played at a very high level and deserves to be a pro bowler this year and certainly consideration to be an all-pro. Um, you know, Marlon Mack, Justin Houston, Frank Reich, those were other guys that I considered um, for this award, so... Quentin Nelson will take home our first uh, Kevin's Corner Award. I'm sure he just is thrilled by that. Uh, second award given out. Biggest surprise. I don't know how you can't go with Zach Gold. 
you know, this is a guy that you have to consider, I guess, where the bar was for him coming into the season. You know, some might say, oh, Jacoby Brissett, maybe, which I, I, I think he deserves a bit of merit here. But, I mean, Pascal was a guy that I think some people thought he was going to get cut back in August. And the Colts kind of sent out all these warnings like, guys, stop. Zach Pascal means a whole lot to this football team. And through eight games, he's meant a lot more than even the Colts thought he was going to mean. And that's because you've had, for another season, an inconsistent wideout group. You've had injuries to the top-end guys of that wideout group. And the stats that really stand out to me for, for Pascal, he's got five touchdowns on the year, which is obviously notable, but his catch percentage is 70.4%, which is a pretty good number for a wideout. It's a really good number. Then when you look at his yards per reception, that's 16.9 yards per reception. So he is providing those semi-chunk plays for you and still catching the ball at a really high rate. It's not like dink and dunk sort of central. Like if you look at you know Paris Campbell's, his catch rate is higher than Zach Pascal, but he's not giving you the amount of, again, consistent 15, 20-yard plays that Pascal is giving this offense. So I thought biggest surprise, Zach Pascal deserved that again. Jacoby Brissett, and I would even throw Kari Willis. And there's a guy that deserves some consideration. As far as biggest disappointment, I don't know how you can't go with Adam Vinatieri. Yes, I get it. All 10 misses are not squarely on his shoulders, but when you're the kicker, you deserve a large chunk of the blame, good and bad. When you make the 51-yarder, we're not talking about Rigoberto Sanchez's hold and Luke Rhodes' snap. It, it just comes with uh, the reality of that position, similar to quarterback and how we judge them so often on, on wins and losses. You know, dead last in the NFL, the Colts in field goal percentage and extra point percentage combined, I think it's 72%. Um you know, one could easily make the case that the Colts have had a game or two lost because of their kicking operation. And um, you know, other there are other candidates I think you could throw in here for biggest disappointment. You know, Quincy Wilson, Deion Kane, or maybe even Eric Ebron. He's had a really quiet year. Something we'll get into a little bit more on Twitter questions. Um, someone pointed out to me a very interesting like that Eric Ebron had on Twitter following the game on Sunday that we'll get into. And even the defensive tackle group, I think you could throw into biggest disappointment, you know. I think I had this right, and this is where I'd love to have Joey double-check it or, um, you know, I'd like to give Maddie credit and think she could double-check it. So even, even Maddie, if, if she was in here. But I believe the Colts have only made three outside moves to their 53-man roster this season. They've promoted a lot of guys from their practice squad, but just directly outside free agents onto their 53-man roster. I think there's only been three moves. All three are at defensive tackle. So clearly they have not been pleased. You know, they they, they bench Marcus Hunt. They throw Grover Stewart in the starting lineup. Grover Stewart played really well Sunday against the Steelers, had five tackles. Matt Eberflus thought it was the best game he's seen from Big Grove in there. But still, the depth of that group, I don't think they've been pleased with, so they could throw in there for biggest disappointment. Best rookie, this is easy. It, it's Kari Willis, and it's it's not even close. You know, last year it was Darius Leonard, and you know, Quentin Nelson had a very strong case as well, but it, it's Kari Willis, and I didn't even put anyone else in the others receiving vote category, if you will. Shout out to the Indiana Hoosiers receiving votes as a football program. Something... You don't see every day, and but man, Tom Allen to the Florida, to Florida State. Like, can we pump the brakes on those rumors a little bit? Um, Kari Willis just—it's been a stud, really. You've had injuries at safety. He's played at several spots. He's played a starter role, a sub package role. It seems like now he's kind of the tight end eraser in the red zone package for this team, which is such a huge element. And the Colts being outstanding in their red zone defense over the past four games, so. Kari Willis deserves that honor. Two more awards we're going to hand out. I think the tell, the most telling stat here in 2019, the amount of one-possession games. All eight decided by one score. 
If you want to look at it from a positive standpoint, you're in every game, and it's been damn entertaining. If you want to look at it from a negative standpoint, it's awful on your heart. And you've played your competition every week, good and bad. So, you know, I thought about throwing kicking percentage in here. thought about throwing fourth down efficiency. The Colts lead the league in fourth down efficiency. But I think just the fact that you continue to play these one-score games, which, um, again, it has good ramifications, has bad ramifications. And certainly on Sunday, I don't care who's under center, that does not need to be a one-score game. doesn't. And then lastly, the biggest remaining question to be answered. I guess a lot of it depends on how you look at this season. I'd say the vast majority of our listeners and just the fans in general, certainly the biggest question is, are the Colts a legit you know, playoff contender? Um, now, some might go the other side of it and think to themselves, well, what about is Jacoby Brissett the definite franchise quarterback here in 2019? And again, I, I think that's a much smaller percentage, and I've said this before, you've got to live in the pre- – when you're in the course of a season, these opportunities, especially in the NFL, they're so valuable. And I think when you look at the AFC, I don't know if we see a kind of a crystal clear runaway favorite in this conference. So – that's why um, I think you should have that question of, you know, are the Colts a legit contender in the AFC to make a January type of run? Whereas some might say, well, that's nice, but really the big big question that I care about is, is Jacoby Reset the definite franchise quarterback in 2019? Which I, I, I understand that side of it as well. I think that's a huge question that must be answered this season. So, um Again, I, I posted those awards on 1075thefan.com. If you want to check those out there, have at it. And it's kind of an annual thing that I do at the midway point of every season. Moving on to things I learned this week, let's start with Chris Ballard. Um, he was on with Matt Taylor on the Colts podcast on Tuesday. A few highlights from that interview is about a 10 or 15-minute interview. Probably the thing that Ballard likes the most about his football team right now has been the defensive progress. He's mentioned the depth created on that side of the ball. Five-ish rookies playing significant roles. Some of the injuries to that group, you know, Sheard and Ture and Leonard and Hooker and Kenny Moore missing a game or, you know, Malik Hooker missing, what, three-ish games? Clayton Gathers in and out of the lineup as well. It has created some depth, and Ballard really thinks it's keeping guys fresh, which obviously the amount of parts that Matt Lieberflus has had to play, and I think he wants to play, I think it's allowed this defense to evolve. And I'll be curious to see late in the season, outside of Justin Houston and maybe Danico Autry, you've probably played guys a little bit less than you thought you would. You're rotating a lot of safety. You're rotating a little bit more at linebacker than you did last year. Um, you know, corner has seen a lot of kind of in and out and the Pierre Desir injuries. He, he's another name that we should throw in there. Um, so Ballard really likes how the defense has progressed. Now, you're starting with Houston in a couple weeks. They're going to get back into that better offenses. You see Houston, you see New Orleans, you know, is Carolina, the, it's a different offense, but you're obviously going to see them. Tampa's had a few games this year where they've put up some big numbers. So um, we'll get, I, I think, a, a, a truer evaluation against this defense. Can you duplicate what you did against Watson and Mahomes? And can you keep up this red zone success, which has been absolutely pivotal in going 3-1 and one over the last quarter? Ballard talked a little trade deadline. His quote was this. We definitely had lines in the water. You always do. We all take calls. We all listen. And then we do what's best for the team. And at that time, we just didn't think we found a fit, both from a compensation standpoint and also who we were going to bring in the building. Just the timing and the fit didn't work out. You know, I, I, I think that answer obviously means that certainly the Colts were more in a buying, willing to buy much more so than they were the two previous years. But the compensation, which is something that, especially when you look at the wideout group, that compensation was 
was very notable. Now, having said that, I mean, there are some guys that were traded last week and in the month of October that have made some great impressions early on. So, hindsight's twenty twenty. The injuries at wideout. You know, did you obviously you didn't know Hilton was going to go down in practice? Maybe you didn't know that Devin Funchess's clavicle would potentially linger a bit. That's something we'll get into here in just a second. But yeah, again, I, I feel like the Colts are a little bit more buyer than they were in years past. Ballard called T.Y. Hilton a, a freakish, or excuse me, Frank Wright called T.Y. Hilton a freakish healer. And that was on the heels of, of Ballard saying this. The more I'm with him, the more I appreciate what a pro T.Y. Hilton is. He prepares, and every time I think he's going to be down for a certain amount of time, he pops up about two weeks sooner than you ever thought. So I'll never count him out. As we record this on Thursday morning, we're now barely over a week removed from Hilton injuring his calf in practice. That original timetable was three to four weeks. It sounds like he won't play Sunday, which would obviously be a week and a half removed from that injury occurring. That injury occurred on October 30th. Now, Frank Reich hasn't officially ruled him out, but did say it is unlikely he plays. So then you look into Jacksonville a week from Sunday. That would be two and a half weeks removed from that injury. And then five days later, you have at Houston on that Thursday night, which no one needs to be reminded of the magnitude of that game or T.Y. Hilton's eagerness to play in that game. Now, that would be three weeks and one day removed from when he first suffered that injury. So, that seems to be somewhat realistic. Again, we'll we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on this a little bit more. Um, Now, if he weren't to play against the Texans, you'd you'd have the 10-day break after that to rest him again. But, um, that's definitely going to be a huge storyline next week. Ballard, like he always does on kind of these quarterly updates, talks about the rookies. Again, just loves Kari Willis. The maturity speaks for itself. You know, I've used this reference before and talked with the Colts coaching staff who was there with Tony Dungy and Alan Williams as position coach and says he sees him at Antoine Bethea. Antoine Bethea. I wonder if... No, no way he'll be in the building this week. I was going to say, it's one of the still making plays for the Giants. I was curious if he's going to be here for Dwight Freeney's um, induction. I, I'm curious, th- and this is way off topic with, with, with Freeney, but him and Michael Jordan are boys. MJ. So I wonder if he'll be here. Jordan went to his wedding. Maybe Jordan's got other stuff with the Hornets this week, but yeah. Um, we got that on Sunday. Getting back to the rookies, Marvell Tell is someone that Ballard is really, really pleased with his late production considering he was inactive for so much of that early part of the year. And yet, they've asked him to play a bigger role as of late with Quincy Wilson uh, being the healthy scratch, and Marvell Tell has delivered. He sees, uh, Ballard sees some really, really good moments from Rock Yassin. I don't know if I'd go all the way there, but... Again, I, I have, like I've said before, I don't think it's like horrific by any means with Rock Yassin. He did mention the deep ball that Rock gave up against Pittsburgh. That's just a technique thing that he, he has to work on. And um, still, I, I, I wouldn't, don't know if I'd call really, really good moments from Rock and um, so far, but he's a guy that I don't think we should write off by any means. And then he also wanted to comment on Ashton Doolin, who's the practice squad guy called up eh, maybe a little over a month ago and has played a huge special teams role. Undrafted free agent out of Malone. Malone College University. I think it's somewhere in the Midwest. Um, I'd never heard of it. Ashton Doolin put up crazy numbers at Malone. He was, I think, he was a finalist for their Heisman, their their version of the Heisman. But um, he's played a huge special teams role. And he could play a little bit bigger role at wideout this weekend, depending on how the Colts want to handle that. So, Ballard mentioned that they they thought about drafting Doolin late. They felt like with his with his height and speed, six one two fifteen, and runs pretty well, 
they thought he would get drafted by somebody, but then when he wasn't, they said let's uh, let's make an aggressive push to get him in here, and they obviously did that. Um, you know, Ballard wasn't asked about Adam Vinatieri directly. He did touch on the kicking situation uh, just when he was given an overview on the offense, defense, special teams, and you know, I had a few fans bitching at me that he wasn't asked like that. That's just kind of par for the course. It's <laughs> Ryan Grigson, when he was there, he wanted all the questions in his office, and he was going to pick the ones that he liked and the ones that he didn't like, and he was going to ask those questions. So uh, I probably have a feeling that's how it goes for uh, Chris Bauer as well. Um, he said this about the kicking operation. We've got to get more consistent out of our extra point of field goal units, and I say the entire unit, not just one player. I know people sometimes find this hard to believe, but one of the great things about football is it's 11 players on the field, and they all have to execute their jobs for things to go right. You know, I I went back and watched the, um, boy, the Colts are just, they're staying away from any blame on Adam Vinatieri like none other. Um, I've gone back and watched all, all 10 kicks. I advise you not to. But I did. I see two, maybe three kicks that you would blame more of the operation. And again, I I, I know I said this on Monday, but I think it's worth repeating. We're we're giving so much attention to the missed 43-yarder with the laces in and all of that, which obviously it was a huge miss, huge kick and, and everything, but... The reason you're in that situation, the reason you're chasing those points comes from the missed extra point where that ball doesn't get up high enough earlier in that game. And that's the extra point that, again, just had to be high, higher. So I think a few Twitter questions will touch on that. But, um, again, the, the Chris Ballard recap, the highlights from that are up on the website, 1075thefan.com. Has that information. Before we get to Twitter questions, I do want to talk about um, some of the wideout injuries. You know, I, I mentioned Hilton earlier, a fractured hand for Paris Campbell. I've gone back and watched the game. I can't find out exactly the play where it happened. It was his right hand. It happened late in the game. I think he hit a defensive back's helmet. But um, he's going to miss some time. And the Colts don't feel like he'll go on injury reserve, which now... The Colts, assumingly, uh, assuming that they activate Devin Funch at some point, I don't know who your second IR to return guy is going to be this season. You don't have many options, which is a good news. That means you haven't had many catastrophic injuries this year. Now, Kamoko Terry can't return because his injury just won't allow him to heal enough. But um, Campbell would, I guess, be a candidate. But Chris Ball- or, uh, Frank Reich said that they don't think that that is needed right now. Obviously, eight weeks at this point would push you into coming back in the playoffs. So, I mean, just, you feel for Campbell. I mean, this is a guy that just seemingly with all these Ohio State guys, they just get so banged up. And, you know, he battled the hernia earlier this year and, you know, had the hamstring during camp. And I felt like he flashed on Sunday. And, yes, put the ball on the ground a couple times, which can't happen. But still, you saw the explosive element, and you saw kind of a specific role for him that's different than virtually any other player on this offense. It is different than any other player on this offense. You can't mimic his skill set. And so that is a notable loss. We'll see if he can get back at some point in this season. And then the Devin Funches thing. Really odd. He's been eligible to practice now for three weeks. Doesn't sound like he'll practice this week. He's eligible to get back to game action a week from Sunday against Jacksonville. Well, the question now is, is three practices all next week enough for him to be ready against the Jags? And, you know, I wouldn't expect him to all of a sudden come back to practice and immediately be doing full contact or 11-on-11 stuff, taking part in team settings. So that's why I felt like, this week, if he could get into some individual stuff, again, very non-contact, routes versus air, those sorts of things, then you would grow that role into 11-on-11, 11 11, the full pads, that stuff for uh, Jacksonville week, and then he could come back that first game he's eligible to play. Um, because that's something that where you look at Nick Foles, his injury, same sort of injury week one of the season, sounds like he will play against the Colts coming out of the bye week. 
Um, and, and he has practice. I know they aren't touching Nick Foles, and it's a little bit different. But, um, you know, it's something where you just you, you hope, given the wideout injury situation right now, this doesn't linger into when he is eligible to return to game action. So um, once he does get back to practice, that kick starts a 21-day window, which he can be elevated to the 53-man roster at any point during that 21-day window. But at the end of those three weeks, you have to make a decision. Promote him to the 53-man roster for good or put him on injured reserve. Once you promote him, he's on your 53-man roster for the rest of the year. You, you obviously could put him on IR at some point if he had another injury. But, um, yeah, that's the latest on Devin Funches. But basically, your, your healthy wideout group for Sunday looks like this. Zach Paschal, top seven most important player on your roster right now. Still playing a ton of special teams, which is... Just amazing to me. Um, Deion Kane, Chester Rogers, and Ashton Doolin. Now you have Marcus Johnson and Chad Williams, a former third-round pick from Arizona, on your practice squad. So you have some options there if you want to go. Four wideouts isn't the end of the world. You know, rely on your tight ends. Use, use Naeem Hines a little bit, but um, that's your wideout group for this weekend. You know, Kane, what, had the drop, didn't create a whole lot of separation on the Joe Hayden um, breakup, I think. And those were uh, his two targets for zero catches on Sunday. It's now been seven games since that opener when he had a couple grabs. He's caught two balls for 17 yards. Two balls for 17 yards in the last seven games. A couple big PI penalties we know about, but... um. Yeah, you know, I thought he was very candid this week in talking to the media and just being like, I, I realize the opportunity's been there and I have not delivered. And now the opportunity is there more so than ever because of you've added even more injuries. I mean, you're going to be down on Sunday. Your top three wideouts from, I think, who you thought would be your top three wideouts at the start of the year. Hilton, Funchess, Campbell. So, again... If Deion Kane wants any sort of role for this team in the month of December and possibly beyond here in 2019, he's got to show up on Sunday. Has to. Because guys are going to get back. Guys are going to get back in the lineup. And those reps that you were getting and should be getting on Sunday, they're not going to be there. Lastly, before we move on to the quarterbacks, um, one thing about the whole Funchess injury is like, okay, let let's say worst case scenario happens and he can't get back for Jacksonville and then he can't play against Houston, you know, five days later, that only leaves five games the rest of the season. Yeah. Tennessee, Tampa, New Orleans, Carolina, Jacksonville, that only leaves five games the rest of the year for him to show that he's worthy of another contract here in Indianapolis. And with Kane's struggles and Campbell's injuries, this is a very murky situation, very murky on just how you evaluate what the market is for Funches, what type of contract you feel like he needs. Do you think you need to invest more in wide out, whether it be outside market or with a draft pick? I thought I thought you'd get some clarity at that number two wide out spot this season. You haven't really gotten it for, for again, a variety of reasons. Lastly, on the quarterbacks, um, it's going to be a fluid situation over the next 48 hours. We'll, we'll probably know more, um, you know, obviously on Friday. The fact that Jacoby Brissett was practicing on Wednesday, to me, is a, is a good sign that, that he tries and tries to give it a go. Um, unless he really regressed at practice or just didn't look good and there's further risk of injury. I think that's the only reason the Colts would sit him. Now, I would be a lot more open to sitting him and throwing Brian Hoyer out there. Because if you can't beat the Dolphins with Brian Hoyer, you don't deserve to play in January. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins suck. They are terrible. Terrible. You know, I, I don't want to put too much stock into, like, how did Jacoby Brissett jog from drill to drill on Wednesday? How did Brian Hoyer jog from, like, if you're really going to make me nitpick, let's say Brian Hoyer was at a full throttle 10 with his movement. Jacoby Brissett's usually at a 10. I bet Brissett looked like he was a 7.5 or an 8. But 
As Frank Reich put it earlier this week, Jacoby's old school tough. Jacoby is an old, he is a tough SOB. I mean, look, look what happened in 2017. That dude stood in there and took some big, big hits. And he has the last two weeks, honestly. Um, good news is, you know, it's not a huge difference in skill set. Very similar quarterbacks. Jacoby's probably a little bit more of an, uh, an escape artist. I honestly think Hoyer's a little bit more of a daring thrower. Which, again, from a protecting the ball standpoint, that's a strength of uh, Mr. Brissett. You would think Hoyer would know Miami's stuff a little bit. A little bit. Um, he, he didn't really want to go there when I asked him that on Wednesday. But still, Brian Flores coming from New England. You at least know a little bit of New England's defense. I assume you're a scout team quarterback going against New England's defense in practice. So, um, you know, obviously Flores comes from there. And Hoyer's a popular guy this week because, is it Chad O'Shea? Chad O'Shea, I think is his name. Maybe Chris O'Shea. Um, the OC in Miami comes from New England as well. So there is a lot of New England sort of stuff on the Miami coaching staff, which um, that would aid, you know, Hoyer if he needs a start. And certainly he's been a popular guy just from a scout team stuff this week. Um, Before we get into Twitter questions with um, with Brissett, I guess this is similar to kind of what I was talking about Devin Funches. I don't expect Jacoby to miss much time, if any at all, but these games are so precious for his evaluation as well here in 2019. And again, I, I, I know for a lot of people that might not be like top of mind, but it's just something that, that you definitely think about. Of like, okay, let's say this sprained MCL would have sidelined him for multiple games. Then it's like, wow, okay, you're losing a little bit of that of that evaluation time on your quarterback. So um, that's just something that kind of popped into my head. So my gut tells me Jacoby tries, and get, tries to give it a go. Really, unless he just... Unless he doesn't look capable of being a quarterback or he can risk further injury. The fact that he's practicing on a Wednesday, I think it was a good sign. All right, Twitter question time. Um, we got about eight or nine that we'll get to before we uh, get in keys to the game and wrap up this Thursday edition of the podcast. Leslie asks, how much faith do you have that Deion Kane can turn things around and start making an impact for the Colts? Love your podcast all the way from Belgium. Leslie, thank you so much for listening across the pond. We greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, I still have confidence in Deion Kane. I mean, we, we also need to remember, this is virtually his rookie season. You know, f- what, 14, 15 months removed from the ACL. I mean, we are still pretty young in this process. And the fact that Chris Boward and Frank Reich are so, so high on Kane, that I think should give other people confidence and, and remains confident in me of I do believe there is potential there that 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 will be tapped into and maybe it'll turn into Dante Moncrief which you kind of saw flashes but not all the way there but right now obviously we aren't even close to Dante Moncrief status Gary he says liked when Wright came in and spoke a lot about pass catchers with us being decimated at receiver any reason Hines couldn't be more of a runner till we get healthy thanks love the show Thank you, Gary, for the question. Um, you know, Naeem Hines is so reliable, consistent, durable. You know, obviously last year when the wideouts were inconsistent, Hines stepped up and your tight ends had to deliver as well. But I have been a little bit surprised. We still have yet to see that explosive chunk playmaking element to Naeem Hines' game. That's what he did in college. Tremendous with the big plays, running, receiving, kick returns, those sorts of things. And you look at his stats here in 2019, which that was the big thing he wanted to improve on coming into this season. I think he's proven that he can be a reliable guy for Frank Reich and fill a lot of roles. But Hines really was like, all right, it's time to have more chunk plays. He's got one carry over seven yards this year. That one for 11. And he has no catches of longer than 21. So th- that that 30, that 40-yard play, it's still missing from Naeem Hines. So he, I, I do think he could be an option, uh, but I don't know how much that's going to last because I, you know, I don't expect Hilton, and I, I guess I don't expect Funches to be out too long, but 
Maybe I'm being a bit premature there. Chad asks, I'm a tight end fan and love an underdog. There was lots of hype around Mo Alley Cox during camp, but we haven't seen much of him in the passing game. What's going on there? Is his speed much lower than everyone else, or routes are not as good as we are hearing? Is this another case of Jalen Collins making him look good? Man, Chad, delivering a little blow to Jalen Collins there. Molly Cox has five catches for 49 yards in the year. I mean, that's that's about what you'd expect out of a number three tight end. Um, I guess I expect a little bit more. Now, you've been healthy with Doyle and Ebron, so that hasn't opened up a huge role. And, you know, it's one of those things where you want Doyle in the game as the inline blocker and the dual threat. And obviously when Ebron's on the field, you're going to throw it a lot. So I, I just don't know how big of a pass guy. I'd be curious to know how many maybe routes he's run, passing routes that that, that he's run. I, I loved his his t- just tenacity, that run after catch, running over a couple Pittsburgh defenders um, on Sunday. So, you know, maybe a slightly more. I, I don't want to throw in the towel on, on Allie Cox. I never thought he was a – just a four six forty yard dash guy. I would have. I, I really don't know. Um, but you know, I guess. I guess similar to the Funches and Bursette things, but on a much lower scale. You know, belief and, and seeing more out of Molly Cox, that could shift your thinking and how you handle the contract situations in March for Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron. Um, I also wanted to mention. Again, someone tweeted, this is that, that Ebron tweet that I wanted to mention earlier. Someone DM'd me that um, Ebron liked this tweet from Marquise Williams, who I think is a former teammate of Ebron's. Mar- Marquise Williams tweeted this um, during the game on Sunday. When Greg Olson retires, I would love to see Eric Ebron playing for the Panthers next year. I'm trying to figure out how this man led the league as a tight end and they still playing around with my guy. Eric Ebron liked that tweet. Um, So clearly, Eric Ebron sees 18 catches for him through eight games and probably is not a huge fan of that. I mean, outside of the Oakland game, I haven't noticed, you know, an abundance of drops at all from Ebron or anything like that. But to be frank, I mean, he's had a very, very underwhelming year from a number standpoint. 18 catches for 248 yards and three touchdowns, I think. You double those numbers, especially focusing on the catch and yards. It's going to be a career low since his rookie season. Not at all, I think, the first half of the season that he wanted from a contract standpoint, and especially with the wideout issues. I'm a bit surprised. In general, we just haven't seen more tight end production. So that'll be something to keep an eye on moving forward. Juan asked, do you think Ballard should explore someone from outside for the wide receiver position? Given the fact that Kane hasn't developed like they expected, do you see anyone worth picking up like Inman last year? Keep up the great work. It's just awesome content. Thank you. Appreciate that, Juan. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, hindsight's so twenty twenty with the Hilton injury happening twenty four hours after the trade deadline ends. My my question is, yeah, I, I know you found Inman in early October last year. I mean, who's out there right now? I guess JJ Nelson or Michael Floyd. I mean, I have no idea what that wideout free agent market. Don't start me on Des Bryant. That's not happening. And the Colts have bodies at wideout. I assume they will call up it if they need another wide. I'd assume Marcus Johnson, who you know caught a few balls for this team last season around late late September, early October. I guess he would get the call up. Uh, didn't impress me too much when he was healthy during the off season, but Frank Reich's always been high on him. Um, I, I'm just not sure if I know Inman came in here and, and just helped you out right away. I, I just don't know. If, if there is that guy um, that would necess- necessarily be able to do that. and But it is a fair question because that is a group that I think has been probably one of the most disappointing this season. Craig asks, when margins are so slim to make the playoffs in one game, could decide it all, how many more do we need to lose courtesy of Vinny? Do you think Belichick would have given him this latitude? 
Uh, no, no, on Belichick. I think Belichick would have would have made a move by now. I mean, I mean, some people think that they're just going to ride out the season with Vinny. And you know, I am a big believer in like flow of the game dictates a lot of things, and I hate to put kind of like square blame on one person's shoulders, but I think there is legitimate, legitimate reasons that Adam Vinatieri and I guess throwing the caveat of that whole kicking operation, has cost you at least one, if not two, games this season, and very well could have cost you multiple games. Like, if Vinny doesn't make the 51-yarder against Denver, who knows where we're at right now? And, you know, it's something I talked about a lot on Monday's podcast, but the Colts have accepted this fate. They have accepted this fate. So if Vinny costs them another game or the fourth down group costs them another game, they shouldn't be surprised. They should not be surprised. So, yeah, I think I think Belichick would have parted ways. Belichick doesn't give two shits, really, about anybody. Patrick, with much of the analytical data pointing to two-point conversions being a preferred option at non-situational moments in the game, should the Colts be utilizing them more given our kicking issues? Patrick, that's a great question. And I also think to myself in reading that question, doesn't that mean you should make a change at kicker? Like, if you're nervous about kicking an extra point, that means you should make a change, right? If you have hesitancy on a 33-yard extra point from the middle of the field, that's that that's not good at all. And I guess it's kind of twofold with this. Like, the blind loyalty from Frank Reich, it, it, it cannot be impacting his in-game decisions. And, and I really mean that in both ways. It can't impact it in the sense of like, oh, man, I don't know if Vinny can, can make that. Like, I'm going to go for two in the middle of the third quarter or early fourth, you know, something like that. But then on the flip side, what we saw in the Denver game, I don't think it, it can impact Riken saying, boy, I have all the faith in the world in Vinny. His track record speaks for itself. 50 yards, he is good to go. And I know that's kind of two sides of it, negatively and positively, but you cannot allow the blind loyalty to impact your decision-making. Because if it is, that means you need to make a move in my mind. Like, if that is leading to your decision-making being altered in that, okay, I'm going to go for two a little bit more, or if the blind loyalty of Vinny's track record is acting like, what he does in 2014 and, and 2010 means he's the same kicker in 2019. That's an issue as well. Both of those are issues. So, Patrick, it's a really, really good question. It's a very fair question. It's just, it's amazing that that there's legitimacy to that question. C. Daly asked, do you think the Colts should stop being so conservative near the red zone in late game situations? It worked with Denver, but Sunday they had first and 10 near the 30 with over 130 left. And... Uh, plenty of time to get six or even a chip shot. Yeah, I thought they should have been more aggressive, honestly, in both those games. It, it felt very more Chuck Pagano-like than Frank Reich-like. You know, I go back to, um, I don't know if you guys remember the Thursday nighter in Houston, well, four-ish years ago when Hasselbeck was sicker than you-know-what. Luck couldn't play because of the shoulder issue. Colts win that game. Hasselback um, throws the deep ball to T.Y. Hilton when the Colts are backed up in the shadow of their own um, goal line late in the game to kind of ice it. It was on a third down. Pagano wanted to run. Pep Hamilton and Hasselback wanted to throw. I think it was Pep. Maybe it was Chud, but I think early in that year it was still Pep. Like, that's <laughs> that decision that Reich made was because we're so used to Reich being aggressive. Um... So, yeah, I, I, I didn't love that decision from Reich on Sunday, and it kind of goes back to that earlier question. Two more here. Leroy, huge fan of the podcast. You guys are the best Colts podcast out there. Thank you very much for that, Leroy. My question is, how should we feel about the Colts halfway through the se- season? They are better than I thought they'd be when Luck retired, and I'm not sure how to feel about the team moving forward. Also, do you think the return of Funches will help us in the passing game? Definitely a better record than I thought. Um, so I think I, I think you should feel good about five and three, definitely. 
Um, you know, I thought they'd be eight and eight this season. I guess they're on pace for ten and six. The second half of the schedule maybe is a little bit tougher than um, than the first half, but um, I think I think while you might be unsure about like how legit of an AFC contender the Colts are this season, I still think you should feel really good about the future of this team. I think there are a lot of core building pieces that you have. You you still need to continue to hit on drafts and and. Again, find the that definite answer to the quarterback. Um, this team needs more playmakers on both sides of the ball. But there is a really nice core in place that's young that I think can help this team continue to be in the thick of playoff hunts. And now I guess the next step is, okay, not necessarily the thick of playoff hunts, but the thick of making playoff runs. That's that That's the next step you need to see here. Um, in the uh, in the two to three years, I assume Funches will help. You know what? One thing about Funches, while he, I thought him and Brissett didn't have a, a very productive training camp, it wasn't because of a bunch of drops from Funches. We didn't really see that, which that was the biggest culprit of him in Carolina. Now we did see Frank Reich have a huge role for him week one, or a very important role. Fourth down, first fourth down of the season, first meaningful fourth down of the season. You throw the ball to Devin Funches. That that clearly means something. Last one, Jay Cook. Can we get an expert to explain why laces out affect the kick? That's my question for the podcast. Excuse me, for the podcast. Consider you an expert. Normally Joey, but not this game. It's awesome people. Hating on my guy, Joey Molinaro, for being a Steelers fan. Come on now. We're all fans of something. Joey's a professional. He's not rubbing it in. Well, I am no expert on kicking the football. Pat McAfee is. So I've been listening a lot to Pat this week. And yes, you probably have to take a little bit of what he's saying with a grain of salt, considering that, you know, he's always said Adam Vinatieri is going to be in his wedding and and, and things like that. But it, it affects the kick. You know, scientifically, McAfee mentioned it, you know, where the laces are, that's where they obviously stitch up the football, and that's the softer side, whereas the other side of the football is the harder part, um, like harder as in, you know, rock hard. Um, that's easier to kick and more reliable, more consistent kicking that side of it. But having said that, I guarantee you there's been kicks with the laces in before for Adam Vinatieri, and I don't think they've looked as ugly as they looked on Sunday. And McAfee has also mentioned his makes aren't even looking pretty. And he did hit behind that a little bit more. And I just think that we can separate the whole laces debate, which is on Luke Rhodes. It's on more of the long snapper. Now, Rigo panicked, tried to spin it, couldn't spin it um, enough or, or just di- didn't do a good job in, in spinning that. But still, there's 10 missed kicks and... Go back and watch. Snap and hold look relatively good on, on, on just about all of them. All right, moving on to keys to the game and prediction. Um, obviously, Dwight Freeney, ring of honor, so that'll be nice at halftime. As I said earlier, the Dolphins suck. Um, sure, they've played a little better in the last four weeks. They've won a game. But, I mean, you look at some of their numbers. They've scored three points in the third quarter all year. Three points in eight quarters of football. They're minus 111 in the second half. That's terrible. Absolutely terrible. And from a personnel standpoint, I mean, they are... So they beat the um, Jets on Sunday. (laughs) Then their best receiver tears ACL in that game, or now he's on IR, pretty sure he tore his ACL. And their starting running back suspended for the next four games. (laughs) So... They win, and now they're losing their best running back and their best wideout. You know, obviously, the trade away Mika Fitzpatrick, Xavier Z- uh, Howard, their top corner, is on IR. Trade away Laramie Tunsil, Kenyon Drake, Kenny Stills. I mean, it's a sorry group of personnel. They are starting, and I think I mentioned this on Monday. Don't know if I did. On their O line, that that's that's Gouge. We're gonna see Gouge. Gouge is the O line coach. They are starting. Jamarcus Webb and Evan Bame. Those two guys were not in the top 10, top 10 of Colts offensive linemen 
back in training camp. Justin Houston has to be foaming at the mouth. Foaming at the mouth. The other stat that stands out about Miami, they they lead the league. This is, this is actually a great stat. They lead the league in fewest committed penalties. They're the best team at not committing penalties and penalty yardage in the NFL, which to me means this. That means they're even worse than I thought they were. If you're disciplined in the penalty department, that means you've got to be even more horrific in all the other areas. Like, that was something. Usually what you see, you see Cleveland there. I think the most penalized team in the league. That makes sense. Miami's the least penalized team, and they still are terrible? (laughs) Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Three keys to victory. Number one, play to your standard. You know, we, we, we've seen it way too often. Play to your competition. Define a standard. Play to that. I don't care who is under center. If you're a playoff team in 2019, you win this game. And honestly, you probably win it by touchdown plus. The Dolphins are dead last in takeaways, dead last in giveaways. They've allowed the most points in the NFL. Colts, play to your standard. Start to be a little bit more disciplined than you were the last couple weeks. Number two. Some wideouts step up. Like I said earlier, I mean, you're down probably your top three wideouts. Hilton, Funchess, Campbell. Other guys have got to emerge, you know. And, and yes, I'm talking probably mostly about Deion King because Zach Pascal has given you great, great football. Uh, number three, don't let Fitzpatrick get comfortable. You know, I, I've talked about the skill group. It's really, really depleted. Ryan Fitzpatrick is obviously capable of moving the ball and making some, some throws. He is definitely capable of, of that. This is not the worst quarterback the Colts will see in 2019. Having said that, the skill group is just decimated. So don't let him sit back in the pocket. Attack that offensive line. Bring pressure. And Miami shouldn't be able to move the ball. I'm going to go with Colts 27-13. Um, I think, obviously, this will be their first non-one-score game of the year. It's just... I think Sunday was was a wake-up call for this football team. And Frank Reich mentioned that earlier this week. It's kind of an unfortunate byproduct of you shouldn't overlook this football team because you just lost. And I think if you do overlook this football team, it says more about your current team in 2019. It, it's weird. I, I don't know. I feel bad for the Colts because I don't know if like there's a lot you can glean from this game on Sunday and think that it will positively, positively impact you the rest of the season. You can win by 30, and a lot of people are going to be like, ah, it's the Dolphins. you got two big divisional games in five days. It's still a win. It's needed. You need to win a game with Houston and Jacksonville on a bye week, so I won't go totally there, but I, I do think it'll be hard to kind of give these grand 2019 outlook on this team if they go out there and win by 20 or 30, but uh, that's just the reality, I guess, of playing a team like Miami. All right, we'll be back on Monday. Again, 1075thefan.com is where you need to be the next couple days. We'll get a final update on Jacoby Brissett. Have that up on the website. And um, we'll stick to Monday and Thursday next week, and then the Colts will have a short week after that. So hopefully Joey Molinaro and I will be back on Monday morning. Everyone have a great, great weekend. And thank you, as always, for listening to Kevin's Corner. See ya. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.